Section eight, volume one of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Section eight. So I returned to the city. Yet I could neither eat nor drink, my thoughts being engrossed with my cousin, for that I knew not what was become of him. And I grieved with exceeding grief, and passed another sorrowful night, watching until morning. Then I went a second time to the cemetery, pondering over what the son of mine uncle had done, and sorely repenting my hearkening to him, went round among all the tombs, but could not find the tomb I sought. I mourned over the past, and remained in my mourning seven days, seeking the place, and ever missing the path. Then my torture of scruples grew upon me till I well-nigh went mad, and I found no way to dispel my grief save travel and return to my father. So I set out and journeyed homeward, but as I was entering my father's capital, a crowd of rioters sprang upon me and pinioned me. I wondered thereat with all wonderment, seeing that I am the son of the Sultan, and these men were my father's subjects, and among them were some of my own slaves. A great fear fell upon me, and I said to my soul, Would heaven I knew what hath happened to my father! I questioned those that bound me of the cause of their doing, but they returned me no answer. However, after a while one of them said to me, and he had been a hired servant in our house, Fortune has been false to thy father. His troops betrayed him, and the wazir who slew him now reigneth in his stead, and we lay in wait to seize thee by the bidding of him. I was well nigh distraught, and felt ready to faint on hearing of my father's death, when they carried me off and placed me in the presence of the usurper. Now between me and him there was an olden grudge, the cause of which is this. I was fond of shooting with a stone bow, and it befell one day as I was standing on the terrace roof of the palace that a bird lighted on the top of the wazir's house when he happened to be there. I shot at the bird and missed the mark, but I hit the wazir's eye, and knocked it out as fate and fortune decreed. Even so, saith the poet, We tread the path where fate hath led, the path fate writ we fain must tread, and man in one land doomed to die, death nowhere else shall do him dead. And on the likewise saith another, Let fortune have her wanton way, take heart, and all her words obey, nor joy nor mourn at anything, for all things pass and no things stay. Now, when I knocked out the wazir's eye, he could not say a single word, for that my father was king of the city. But he hated me ever after, and dire was the grudge thus caused between us twain. So when I was set before him, hand-bound and pinioned, he straightway gave orders for me to be beheaded. I asked, For what crime wilt thou put me to death? Whereupon he answered, What crime is greater than this? Pointing the while to the place where his eye had been. Quoth I, this I did by accident, not of malice prepense. And quoth he, If thou didst it by accident, I will do the like to thee with intention. Then he cried, Bring him forward. And they brought me up to him, when he thrust his finger into my left eye and gouged it out, whereupon I became one-eyed as ye see me. Then he bade bind me hand and foot, and put me into a chest, and said to the sworder, Take charge of this fellow, and go off with him to the wastelands about the city. Then draw thy scimitar and slay him, and leave him to feed the beasts and birds. So the headsman fared forth with me, and when he was in the midst of the desert he took me out of the chest, 
and I with both hands pinioned and both feet fettered, and was about to bandage my eyes before striking off my head. But I wept with exceeding weeping until I had made him weep with me, and looking at him I began to recite these couplets. I deemed you coat a mail that should withstand the foeman's shafts, and you proved foeman's brand. I hoped your aidance in mine every chance, though fail my left to aid my dexter hand. Aloof you stand and hear the railers jibe, while rain their shafts on me the jiber band. But an ye will not guard me from my foes, stand clear and succor neither these nor those. And I also quoted, I deemed my brethren male of strongest steel, and so they were, from foes I fend my dart. I deemed their arrows surest of their aim, and so they were, when aiming at my heart. When the headsman heard my lines, he had been sorted to my sire, and he owed me a debt of gratitude. He cried, O oh my lord, what can I do, being but a slave under orders? Presently adding, Fly for thy life, and never more return to this land, or they will slay thee, and slay me with thee. Even as the poet said, Take thy life, and fly when as evils threat. Let the ruined house tell its owner's fate. New land for the old thou shalt seek and find, but to find new life thou must not await. Strange that men should sit in the stead of shame, when Allah's world is so wide and great. And trust no other in matters grave, life itself must act for a life beset. Ne'er would prowl the lion with maned neck, did he reckon on aid or of others' wreck. Hardly believing my escape, I kissed his hand and thought the loss of my eye a light matter in consideration of my escaping from being slain. I arrived at my uncle's capital, and, going in to him, told him of what had befallen my father and myself, whereat he wept with sore weeping, and said, Verily thou addest grief to my grief, and woe to my woe, for thy cousin hath been missing these many days. I wot not what hath happened to him, and none can give me news of him. And he wept till he fainted. I sorrowed and condoled with him, and he would have applied certain medicaments to my eye, but he saw that it was become as a walnut with the shell empty. Then he said, O oh, my son, better to lose eye than keep life. After that I could no longer remain silent about my cousin, who was his only son and one dearly loved, so I told him all that had happened. He rejoiced with extreme joyance to hear the news of his son, and said, Come now and show me the tomb. But I replied, By Allah, O oh, my uncle, I know not its place, though I sought it carefully full many times, yet could not find the site. However, I and my uncle went to the graveyard and looked right and left, till at last I recognized the tomb, and we both rejoiced with exceeding joy. We entered the sepulchre, and loosened the earth about the grave. Then, up raising the trap-door, descended some fifty steps till we came to the foot of the staircase, when, lo, we were stopped by a blinding smoke. Thereupon my uncle said that saying, whose sayer shall never come to shame, there is no majesty, and there is no might, save in Allah, the glorious, the great. And we advanced till we suddenly came upon a saloon, whose floor was strewn with flour and grain, and provisions, and all manner of necessities. And in the midst of it stood a canopy sheltering a couch. Thereupon my uncle went up to the couch, and inspecting it found his son and the lady who had gone down with him into the tomb, lying in each other's embrace. But the twain had become black as charred soot, it was as if they had been cast into a pit of fire. When my uncle saw this spectacle, he spat in his son's face, and said, Thou hast thy deserts, O thou hog! This is thy judgment in the transitory world, and yet remaineth the judgment in the world to come, a durer and a more enduring. 
and Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the twelfth night, she continued, It has reached me, O auspicious king, that the kalandar thus went on with his story before the lady and the caliph of Jafar. My uncle struck his son with his slipper as he lay there in a black heap of coal. I marvelled at his hardness of heart, and grieving for my cousin and the lady, said, By Allah, O my uncle, calm down thy wrath. Dost thou not see that all my thoughts are occupied with this misfortune, and how sorrowful I am for what hath befallen thy son, and how horrible it is that naught of him remaineth but a black heap of charcoal? And is that not enough, but thou must smite him with thy slipper? Answered he, O son of my brother, this youth from his boyhood was madly in love with his own sister, and often and often I forbade him to her, saying to myself, They are but little ones. However, when they grew up, sin befell between them, and although I could hardly believe it, I confined him, and chided him, and threatened him with the severest threats, and the eunuchs and servants said to him, Beware of so foul a thing which none before thee ever did, and which none after thee will ever do and have a care lest thou be dishonoured and disgraced among the kings of the day, even to the end of time. And I added, Such a report as this will be spread abroad by caravans, and take heed not to give them cause to talk, or I will assuredly curse thee and do thee to death. After that I lodged them apart and shut her up, but the accursed girl loved him with passionate love, for Satan had got the mastery of her as well as of him, and made their foul sin seem fair in their sight. Now when my son saw that I separated them, he secretly built his souterrain, and furnished it, and transported to it victuals, even as thou seest, and when I had gone out a-sporting, came here with his sister, and hid from me. Then his righteous judgment fell upon the twain, and consumed them with fire from heaven, and verily the last judgment will deal them durer pains and more enduring. Then he wept, and I wept with him, and he looked at me and said, Thou art my son in his stead. And I bethought me a while of the world and of its chances, and how the wazir had slain my father, and had taken his place, and had put out my eye, and how my cousin had come to his death by the strangest chance. And I wept again, and my uncle wept with me. Then we mounted the steps, and let down the iron plate, and heaped up the earth over it. And after restoring the tomb to its former condition, we returned to the palace. But hardly had we sat down, ere we heard the tom-toming of the kettle-drum, and the tantara of trumpets, and the clash of cymbals, and the rattling of war men's lances, and the clamors of assailants, and the clanking of bits, and the neighing of steeds, while the world was canopied in dense dust and sand clouds raised by the horses' hoofs. We were amazed at the sight and sound, knowing not what could be the matter, so we asked, and were told us, that the wazir who usurped my father's kingdom had marched his men, and that after levying his soldiery, and taking a host of wild Arabs into his service, he had come down upon us with armies like the sands of the sea, their number none could tell, and against them none could prevail. They attacked the city unawares, and the citizens, being powerless to oppose them, surrendered the place. My uncle was slain, and I made for the suburbs, saying to myself, If thou fall into this villain's hands, he will assuredly kill thee. On this wise all my troubles were renewed. And I pondered all that had betided my father and my uncle, and I knew not what to do, for if the city people or my father's troops had recognized me, they would have done their best to win favor by destroying me. 
and I could think of no way to escape save by shaving off my beard and my eyebrows. So I shore them off, and changing my fine clothes for a calendar's rags, I fared forth from my uncle's capital, and made for this city, hoping that peradventure someone would assist me to the presence of the Prince of the Faithful, and the Caliph, and the Caliph who is a vicerigent of Allah upon earth. Thus I come hither that I might tell him my tale and lay my case before him, I arrived here this very night, and was standing in doubt whither I should go, when suddenly I saw this second calendar. So I salomed to him, saying, I am a stranger. And he answered, I too am a stranger. And as we were conversing, up came our third companion, this third calendar, who saluted us, saying, I am a stranger. And we answered, We too be strangers. Then we three walked on, and together, till darkness overtook us, and destiny crave us to your house. Such, then, is the cause of the shaving of my beard and mustachios and eyebrows, and the manner of my losing my right eye. They marveled much at this tale, and the caliph said to Ja'afar, By Allah, I have not seen, nor have I heard the like of what hath happened to this calendar. Quoth the lady of the house, Rub thy head and wend thy ways. But he replied, I will not go till I hear the history of the two others. Thereupon the second calendar came forward, and kissing the ground, began to tell, THE SECOND CALENDAR'S TALE THE SECOND CALENDAR'S TALE Know, O my lady, that I was not born one-eyed, and mine is a strange story, and it were graven with needle-graver on the eye-corners, it were a warner to whoso would be warned. I am a king, son of a king, and was brought up like a prince. I learned intoning of the Koran according to the seven schools, and I read all manner books and held disputation on their contents with the doctors and men of science. Moreover, I studied star-lore and the fair sayings of the poets, and I exercised myself in all branches of learning, until I surpassed the people of my time. My skill in calligraphy exceeded that of all the scribes, and my fame was bruited abroad over all climes and cities, and all the kings learned to know my name. Amongst others, the king of Hind heard of me, and sent to my father to invite me to his court with offerings and presents and rarities such as befit royalties. So my father fitted out six ships for me and my people, and we put to sea and sailed for the space of a full month, till we made the land. Then we brought out the horses that were with us in the ships, and, after loading the camels with our presents for the prince, set forth inland. But we had marched only a little way, when, behold, a dust-cloud flew up, and grew until it walled the horizon from view. After an hour or so, the veil lifted, and discovered beneath it fifty horsemen, ravening lions to the sight, in steel armor dight. We observed them straightly, and, lo, they were cutters off of the highway, wild as wild Arabs. When they saw that we were only four, and had with us but the ten camels, carrying the presents, they dashed down upon us with lances at rest. We signed to them with our fingers, as it were, saying, We be messengers of the great king of Hind, so harm us not. But they answered on like wise, We are not in his dominions to obey, nor are we subject to his sway. Then they set upon us, and slew some of my slaves, and put the lave to flight. And I also fled, after I had gotten a wound, a grievous hurt, whilst the Arabs were taken up with the money and the presents which were with us. I went forth unknowing whither I went, having become mean as I was mighty, and fared on until I came to the crest of a mountain, where I took shelter for the night in a cave." When day arose I set out again, nor ceased after this fashion till I arrived at a fair city, and a well-filled. 
Now it was the season when winter was turning away with his rhyme, and to greet the world with his flowers came prime, and the young blooms were springing, and the streams flowed ringing, and the birds were sweetly singing, as saith the poet concerning a certain city when describing it. A place secure from every thought of fear, safety and peace forever lorded here. Its beauties seem to beautify its sons, as in heaven its happy folk appear. I was glad of my arrival, for I was wearied with the way, and yellow of face for weakness and want. But my plight was pitiable, and I knew not whither to betake me. So I accosted a tailor sitting in his little shop, and saluted him, and he returned my salome, and bade me kindly welcome, and wished me well, and entreated me gently, and asked me of the cause of my strangerhood. I told him all my past from first to last, and he was concerned on my account, and said, O youth, disclose not thy secret to any. The king of this city is the greatest enemy thy father hath, and there is blood wit between them, and thou hast cause to fear for thy life. Then he set meat and drink before me, and I ate and drank, and he with me, and we conversed freely till nightfall, when he cleared me a place in a corner of his shop, and brought me a carpet and a coverlet. I tarried with him three days, at the end of which time he said to me, Knowest thou no calling whereby to win thy living, O my son? I am learned in the law, I replied, and a doctor of doctrine, an adept in art and science, a mathematician, and a notable penman. He rejoined, Thy calling is of no account in our city, where not a soul understandeth science, or even writing, or aught save money-making. Then said I, By Allah, I know nothing but what I have mentioned. And he answered, Gird thy middle, and take thee a hatchet and a cord, and go and hew wood in the wold for thy daily bread, till Allah send thee relief, and tell none who thou art, lest they slay thee. Then he bought me an axe and a rope, and gave me in charge to certain woodcutters. And with these guardians I went forth into the forest, where I cut fuel wood the whole of my day, and came back in the evening, bearing my bundle on my head. I sold it for half a dinar, with part of which I bought provision and laid by the rest. In such work I spent a whole year, and when this was ended I went out one day, as was my wont, into the wilderness. And wandering away from my companions, I chanced upon a thickly grown lowland, in which there was an abundance of wood. So I entered, and found the gnarled stump of a great tree, and loosened the ground around it, and shoveled away the earth. Presently my hatchet rang upon a copper ring. So I cleared away the soil, and behold, the ring was attached to a wooden trap-door. This I raised, and there appeared beneath it a staircase. I descended the steps to the bottom, and came to a door, which I opened, and found myself in a noble hall, strong of structure, and beautifully built where was a damsel like a pearl of great price, whose favor banished from my heart all grief and cark and care, and whose soft speech healed the soul in despair and captivated the wise and ware. Her figure measured five feet in height, her breasts were firm and upright, her cheek a very garden of delight, her color lively bright, her face gleamed like dawn through curly tresses which gloomed like night, and above the snows of her bosom glittered teeth of pearly white as the poet said of one like her, slim-waisted, loveling jetty hair and crowned, a wand of willow on a sandy mound. And as saith another, four things that meet not, save they here unite, to shed my heart blood and to rape my sprite, brilliantest forehead, tresses jetty bright, cheeks rosy red, and stature beauty dight. 
When I looked upon her, I prostrated myself before him who had created her, for the beauty and loveliness he had shaped in her, and she looked at me, and said, Art thou man or jinni? I am man, answered I, and she, Now who brought thee to this place where I have abided five and twenty years, without even yet seeing man in it? Quoth I, and indeed I found her words wonder-sweet, and my heart was melted to the core by them. O oh, my lady, my good fortune led me hither, for the dispelling of my cark and care. Then I related to her all my mishap from first to last, and my case appeared to her exceeding grievous. So she wept, and said, I will tell thee my story in my turn. I am the daughter of the king Iphitamus, lord of the islands of Abnus, who married me to my cousin, the son of my paternal uncle. But on my wedding night came an Ifrit named Jirgis bin Rajmus, first cousin, that is, mother's sister's son, of Iblis the foul fiend, snatched me up, and flying away with me like a bird, set me down in this place, whither he conveyed all I needed of fine stuffs, raiment and jewels and furniture, and meat and drink and other else. Once in every ten years he comes here, and lies a single night with me, and then wends his way, for he took me without the consent of his family and he hath agreed with me that if ever I need him by night or by day, I have only to pass my hand over yon two lines engraved upon the alcove, and he will appear to me before my fingers cease touching. Four days have now passed since he was here, and, as there remain six days more before he come again, say me, wilt thou abide with me five days, and go hence the day before his coming? I replied, Yes, and yes again. Oh, rare, if all this be not a dream! Hereat she was glad, and springing to her feet, seized my hand, and carried me through an arched doorway, to a hammam bath a fair hall, and richly decorate. I doffed my clothes, and she doffed hers, and we bathed, and she washed me. And when this was done, we left the bath, and she seated me by her side upon a high divan, and brought me sherbet scented with musk. When we felt cool after the bath, she set food before me, and we ate, and fell to talking, but presently she said to me, Lay thee down and take thy rest, for surely thou must be weary. So I thanked her, my lady, and lay down and slept soundly, forgetting all that had happened to me. When I awoke, I found her rubbing and shampooing my feet. So I again thanked her, and blessed her, and we sat for a while, talking. Said she, By Allah I was sad at heart, for I have dwelt alone underground these five and twenty years, and praise be to Allah who has sent me someone with whom I can converse. Then she asked, O youth, what sayest thou to wine? And I answered, Do as thou wilt. Whereupon she went to a cupboard, and took out a sealed flask of right old wine, and set off the table with flowers and scented herbs, and began to sing these lines. Had we known of thy coming, we fain had dispread the cores of our hearts and the balls of our eyes. Our cheeks as a carpet to greet thee had thrown, and our eyelids had strown for thy feet to betread. Now when she had finished her verse, I thanked her, for indeed love of her had gotten hold of my heart, and my grief and anguish were gone. We sat at converse and carousel till nightfall, and with her I spent the night. Such night never spent I in all my life. On the morrow delight followed delight till midday, by which time I had drunken wine so freely that I had lost my wits, and stood up, staggering to the right and to the left, and said, Come, O my charmer, and I will carry thee up from this underground vault, and deliver thee from the spell of thy genii. She laughed, and replied, Content thee, and hold thy peace. Of every ten days, one is for the Ifrit, and the other nine are thine. Quoth I, and in good sooth drink had gotten the better of me. This very instant I will break down the alcove wherein is graven the talisman, and summon the Ifrit, 
that I may slay him, for it is a practice of mine to slay Freets. When she heard my words, her color waxed wan, and she said, By Allah do not! And she began repeating, This is a thing wherein destruction lies, I read thee shun it, and thy wits be wise. And these also, O thou who seekest severance, draw the rein of thy swift steed, nor seek or much to advance. Ah, stay, for treachery is the rule of life, and sweets of meeting end in severance. I heard her verse, but paid no heed to her words, nay, I raised my foot, and administered to the alcove a mighty kick. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the thirteenth night, she said, It had reached me, O auspicious king, that the second calendar thus continued his tale to the lady. But when, O my mistress, I kicked that alcove with a mighty kick, behold, the air starkened and darkened and thundered and lightened, the earth trembled and quaked, and the world became invisible. At once the fumes of wine left my head, and I cried to her, What is the matter? And she replied, The Ifrit is upon us. Did I not warn thee of this? By Allah thou hast brought ruin upon me, but fly for thy life, and go up by the way thou camest down. So I fled up the staircase. But, in the excess of my fear, I forgot sandals and hatchet, and when I mounted two steps I turned to look for them, and lo! I saw the earth cleave asunder, and there rose from it an Ifrit, a monster of hideousness, who said to the damsel, What trouble and posture be this, wherewith thou disturbest me? What mishap hath betided thee? No mishap hath befallen me, she answered, save that my breast was straitened, and my heart heavy with sadness. So I drank a little wine to broaden it, and to hearten myself. Then I rose to obey a call of nature, but the wine had gotten into my head, and I fell against the alcove. Thou liest like the whore thou art, shrieked the Ifrit. And he looked around the hall, right and left, till he caught sight of my axe and sandals, and said to her, What be these but the belongings of some mortal who hath been in thy society? She answered, I never set eyes upon them till this moment. They must have been brought by thee thither cleaving to thy garments. Quoth the Ifrit, These words are absurd, thou harlot, thou strumpet. Then he stripped her stark naked, and, stretching her upon the floor, bound her hands and feet to four stakes, like one crucified, and set about torturing and trying to make her confess. I could not bear to stand listening to her cries and groans, so I climbed the stair on the quake with fear, and when I reached the top I replaced the trap-door and covered it with earth. Then I repented of what I had done, with penitence exceeding, and thought of the lady, and her beauty and loveliness, and the tortures she was suffering at the hands of the accursed Ifrit, after her quiet life of five-and-twenty years, and how all that had happened to her was for the cause of me. I bethought me of my father, and his kingly estate, and how I had become a woodcutter, and how, after my time had been a while serene, the world had again waxed turbid and troubled to me. So I wept bitterly, and repeated this couplet. What time fate's tyranny shall most oppress thee? Prepend, one day shall joy thee, one distress thee. Then I walked till I reached the home of my friend, the tailor, whom I found most anxiously expecting me. Indeed he was, as the saying goes, on coals of fire for my account. And when he saw me, he said, All night long my heart hath been heavy, fearing for thee from wild beasts or other mischances. Now praise be to Allah for thy safety. I thanked him for his friendly solicitude, and retiring to my corner sat pondering and musing on what had befallen me. And I blamed and chided myself for my meddlesome folly and my forwardness in kicking the alcove. I was calling myself to account, when, behold, my friend the tailor came to me, and said, 
O youth, in the shop there is an old man, a Persian, who seeketh thee. He hath thy hatchet and thy sandals, which he had taken to the woodcutter, saying, I was going out at what time the muazin began to call the dawn prayer, when I chanced upon these things, and know not whose they are. So direct me to their owner. The woodcutters recognized thy hatchet, and directed him to thee. He is sitting in my shop. So fare forth to him, and thank him, and take thine axe and sandals. When I heard these words, I turned yellow with fear, and felt stunned as by a blow. And before I could recover myself, lo, the floor of my private room clove asunder, and out of it rose the Persian, who was the Efreet. He had tortured the lady with exceeding tortures. Natheless she would not confess to him aught. So he took the hatchet and sandals, and said to her, As surely as I am Jurgis of the seed of Iblis, I will bring thee back the owner of this and these. Then he went to the woodcutters with the presence aforesaid, and, being directed to me, after waiting a while in the shop till the fact was confirmed, he suddenly snatched me up, as a hawk snatcheth a mouse, and drew high in air, but presently descended and plunged with me under the earth, I being a swoon the while, and lastly set me down in the subterranean palace wherein I had passed that blissful night. And there I saw the lady, stripped to the skin, her limbs bound to four stakes and blood welling from her sides. At the sight my eyes ran over with tears, but the Ifrit covered her person and said, O wanton, is this man not thy lover? She looked upon me and replied, I wot him not, nor have I ever seen him before this hour. Quoth the Ifrit, What? This torture and yet no confessing? And quoth she, I never saw this man in my born days. It is not lawful in Allah's sight to tell lies on him. If thou know him not, said the Ifrit to her, take this sword and strike off his head. She hent the sword in hand, and came close up to me. And I signaled to her with my eyebrows, my tears the while flowing adown my cheeks. She understood me, and made answer, also by signs, How couldst thou bring all this evil upon me? And I rejoined after the same fashion, This is a time for mercy and forgiveness. And the mute tongue of my case spake aloud, saying, Mine eyes were dragomans of my tongue betted, and told full clear the love I fain would hide. When last we met the tears in torrents railed, For tongue struck dumb my glances testified. She signed with eye-glance while her lips were mute, I signed with fingers, and she kenned the implied. Our eyebrows did all duty twixt us twain, And being speechless love spake loud and plain. Then, O oh my mistress, the lady threw away the sword, and said, How shall I strike the neck of one I wot not? And who hath done me no evil? Such deed were not lawful in my law. And she held her hand, said the Ifrit, "'Tis grievous to thee to slay thy lover, and because he hath lain with thee, thou endurest these torments, and obstinately refuseth to confess. After this it is clear to me that only like loveth and pitieth like. And he turned to me and asked me, O man, haply thou also dost not know this woman. Whereto I answered, And pray who may she be? Assuredly I never saw her till this instant. Then take the sword, said he, and strike off her head, and I will believe that thou wottest her not, and I will leave thee free to go, and will not deaf hardly with thee. I replied, That I will do, and, taking the sword, went sharply forward and raised my hand to smite. But she signed to me with her eyebrows, And is it thus that thou requirest me? I understood what her looks implied, and answered her with an eye-glance. I will sacrifice my soul for thee. And the tongue of the case wrote in our hearts these lines. How many a lover with his eyebrows speaketh, To his beloved as his passion pleadeth, With flashing eye his passion he inspireth, And well she seeth what Kit's pleading needeth. 
How sweet the look, when on each other gazeth! And with what swiftness, and how sure it speedeth! And this with eyebrows all his passion writeth, And that with eyeballs all his passion readeth. Then my eyes filled with tears to overflowing, And I cast the sword from my hand, saying, O mighty Efreet and hero, if a woman lacking wits and faith deem it unlawful to strike off my head, how can it be lawful for me, a man, to smite her neck, whom I never saw in my whole life? I cannot do such misdeed, though thou cause me drink the cup of death and perdition. Then said the Efreet, Ye twain show the good understanding between you, but I will let you see how such doings end. Then he took the sword, and struck off the lady's hands first with four strokes, and then her feet, while I looked on, and made sure of death, and she farewelled me with her dying eyes. So the Ifrit cried at her, Thou warest, and makest me a wittaw with thine eyes, and struck her so that her head went flying. Then he turned to me, and said, O mortal, we have it in our law, that, when the wife committeth adultery, it is lawful for us to slay her. As for this damsel, I snatched her away on her bride-night, when she was a girl of twelve, and she knew no one but myself. I used to come to her once every ten days, and lie with her the night, under the semblance of a man, a Persian, and when I was well assured that she had cuckled in me, I slew her. But as for thee, I am not well satisfied that thou hast wronged me in her. Nevertheless, I must not let thee go unharmed. So ask a boon of me, and I will grant it. Then I rejoiced, O my lady, with exceeding joy, and said, What boon shall I crave of thee? He replied, Ask me this boon. Into what shape I shall bewitch thee? Wilt thou be a dog, or an ass, or an ape? I rejoined, and indeed I had hoped that mercy might be shown me. By Allah spare me, that Allah spare thee for sparing a Muslim and a man who never wronged thee. And I humbled myself before him with exceeding humility, and remained standing in his presence, saying, I am sore oppressed by circumstance. He replied, Talk me no long talk. It is in my power to slay thee. But I give thee instead thy choice. Quoth I, O thou Ifrit, it would befit thee to pardon me, even as the envied pardon the envier. Quoth he, And how is that? And I began to tell him the tale of the envier and the envied. End of section 8 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night.